0: In the world of politics, uh, slogans and sound bites are so crucial, like build back better, make America great again. And it seems like Americans want it that way. We just hear a catchy slogan that can save us a lot of time from having to read up on the issues and think about them. It seems like a catchy slogan is good enough. But at best, we have a superficial understanding of the issues. And I think that can be the case at Christmas. We wish each other a Merry Christmas. And that's nice. I love to hear that. And I love to say that. But is Christmas only wishing someone a really good two weeks? Haven't we reduced the meaning of Christmas to a soundbite? Or how about this one? Are you ready for Christmas? That doesn't really mean, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? It means, did you get your shopping done? So let's read our text this morning. John 1, 1 to 14. It's a very deep passage, philosophically and theologically. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, that passage includes a profound sound bite. The Word became flesh. So let's unpack it this morning. And I don't want to give you a sound bite explanation. So this is the long version, but don't worry, not too long. The first point I want to make from the text is the recognition of the word from verses one through five. Now, I imagine there's someone sitting out there this morning that's not really sure what the word means. First off, in the reading, did you notice it was capitalized? Usually the word word isn't. So it must mean a name or a title of something, and that something is a someone. The word is a title of a person. That's the first thing you need to recognize. We use words to express ourselves, to communicate our thoughts and ideas, to express our personalities. And others around us communicate and express themselves through words. So God has expressed himself through the word. Jesus is what God is like to use another metaphor. Jesus is a photograph of God. Hebrews one three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The Bible is a book about God, and Jesus is the book. Jesus is everything God wants to say to us. Hebrews 1, 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The Greek is the New Testament language. And so the word for word in the original language that John would have written was the word logos. Logos. A very important word for the Jews and the Gentiles. So the Greek language is the common language of the day. Everyone knew some Greek, like almost everyone in the world knows some English today. So John needed a word to kind of explain this deep concept that both Jews and Gentiles would grasp. If he was writing it today, maybe he used something like the force from Star Wars Something popular and well-known so everyone could grasp it. Something else about the Jewish people. They believed that words were alive. Words were personified. Proverbs chapter 8, if you want a good example, there it is. And the Hebrew language of which the Old Testament was written only contained about 10,000 words, while the Greek language had about 200,000 words. So the writers of the Old Testament knew that Words could convey a bevy of ideas. Also, the name of God is too holy to be uttered, so they used other titles for God, so they wouldn't say his name. And one such title was the Word. It meant God is the meaning behind all things. The Greeks thought of logos as wisdom, reason, or the order of things. So this word. Created and steers the universe. God spoke. Things happened. So what is John saying? This word, this reason, this power is behind all things. This intelligence, this force governs the universe and already existed from the beginning. We know Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God spoke a word and words. And everything happened. I think John is thinking of this verse as he writes about Jesus in John 1, 1. But he goes beyond that. He talks about what was before the beginning. This word predates everything because it's eternal. Next, he says the word was with God, constantly Face to face with God is what that phrase means. So close that your eyes and nose and lips would meld together and be one in the same. The essence became the image, and the image the essence. The eternally present Word was with God in the closest possible proximity. Then John goes a step further and says, The Word was God. This pre existent intelligence who is face to face with God, is God. Notice he doesn't say God was the word because that would limit God to the word. But he says the word was God. John is clearly telling his readers here that God exists in two persons. And then by John chapters 14 through 16, he tells us God exists in three persons. We believe that the word is God. That's crucial for orthodoxy. The Bible is clear on that. We can reject or diminish that. And if we do, we aren't a Christian. Jesus is God. John goes on to say that the word was also the creator, the creating agent. The father thought it, the son wrought it, and the Holy Spirit brought it, someone says. Listen to Colossians 1, 16 and 17 for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Everything that has its essence has its essence in Jesus He's the force. He's the power that holds everything together and gives it cohesiveness. What is the power behind gravity? Jesus. Centrifugal force? Jesus. He holds all things together. He's the glue. And as long as things continue as they are, He's the force behind it. When He says no more, everything flies apart. That shows us that matter is created. It's not eternal. It's not of the same essence as God or Jesus. We shouldn't worship it. Also, human beings. We're created in His image. That's an awesome thought that we are image bearers, imagers of God. So, really, no one should ever have a low self image. You've been created in the image of God. But we're different from God. We aren't God. We are not of His essence. And so human beings should never be worshipped. But is this the message of our Christmas cards? Is this what we mean when we say Merry Christmas? Do we mean the Word, the Creator of all things? Do we mean the divinity of Jesus and His essence? Is this what the department store ads are really getting at at Christmas time? The reason for the season? That's okay. But it's a sound bite. Christmas is Jesus. John pushes on. He talks about life and light in verses four and five. Life means two things in the Bible, physical life and eternal life. The eternal word is the creator of all physical life and the source of eternal life. Unbelievers then really don't live. They just exist. They don't have the life of God, the John 10, 10 life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What could be the meaning and purpose of life outside of God and a relationship with him? Some might say, well, marriage or career or making money. Well, these things end. A relationship with God doesn't. True life is only found in a personal relationship with God through Christ. The word was light. God shone into the darkness and the darkness couldn't extinguish it. Like like a boy with the trick candles on the birthday cake, he tries to blow them out, but he can't. Isaiah says that when Christ would come, the world would lie in darkness. But then the light came. And the darkness was too weak to put it out. God can be resisted and rejected, but never defeated. And we see that not everyone wants to live in the light. Sunshine may be everywhere, but we can choose to live in a cave. The second point of the passage, the revelation of the word from verse 14. I want you to hear it in the message paraphrase. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Now, the Greek readers listening to John so far are reading what he wrote would have had no problem whatsoever with everything he said. And then they came to verse 14. It would have blown their minds. The word became Flesh. Now, there's a Christmas soundbite for you. Flesh in the flesh, the incarnation of Jesus. He came in the flesh. God became a baby. The Bible says God is a spirit and spirits, as we know, are invisible. Yet for 33 years, God became visible in Christ. God chose to reveal himself to human beings as a human. Someone with skin and bones and blood. He was a person just like them. He could relate to them. He could understand their weaknesses and he dwelt among them. This word dwelt literally means tabernacled or pitched his tent. And immediately we are drawn back to the Exodus account of the people of God wandering in the wilderness. And they built a a tent for God and he lived in it and they saw him as a cloud or as fire. But the disciples saw the same one as a person. Jesus was fully God and fully man. That's why the wise men built down, bent down and worshipped him. God actually came to a place in the world, Israel. So the, the the Greeks would have strenuously objected at this point. They would have said, "No way! All matter is evil. God couldn't become a man. It would corrupt him. He would no longer be God. He'd be sinful." So that's why some postulated that Jesus was more like a ghost. He only appeared to be human, but wasn't. They denied his resurrection also because he he could have had a body, a physical body to raise. So later, John, who wrote this letter, wrote another letter. First, John. And in chapter four, verses one to three, he denounces this as heresy. So do you believe that God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ? Many who celebrate Christmas do not. They like all the festivities of a holiday, but don't understand or don't want to know the true meaning behind it. So how can I understand God then? His ways, his thoughts are higher than mine. If ants were about to be destroyed by a farmer's plow, how could you possibly warn them? If you were a human being, all you could do is become an ant like them. Then you could warn them. That's what Jesus did. He became one of us. God wrote himself into the play. When when our boys were little, I would get down on the floor and play with them, be close to them at their level And that's what God did for us. He got down on the floor with us in Jesus. But for some, it's hard to imagine or believe that Jesus is God. They acknowledge him as a good man, maybe the greatest man who ever lived. And yes, he died on a cross, but it was merely the death of a good man who tried to help others. But really, what would that death have accomplished? It would have only saved Barabbas. The man scheduled to be executed that day. Life makes no sense without the cross and the cross makes no sense without the incarnation. We look at all the violence and tragedies in the world and some people say there is no God. And it would seem like they have a point unless the incarnation is true and it is true. It shows us that God did not stand idly by folding his arms, watching he felt our pain. He suffered, too. He, he died as a human being, assuming our sin because he had something to give that none of us have. He was God. And John says we've seen his glory. We witnessed the glory of his words and deeds. We were eyewitnesses to his miracles, to his transfiguration, to his resurrection and his ascension. For centuries, God told people, don't look at me or you'll die. Don't touch me. Don't come too close. Take off your shoes from your feet. But in Jesus, God came close. And God says, come to me, touch me, lean on me. But we can lose that closeness, that intimacy at Christmas time. We can lose the wonder of worship. Possibly because we haven't gazed on him, or possibly we're distracted by all the sound bites of Christmas time. We can trivialize Christmas. My third point this morning the reaction to the Word in verses 10 to 13. This Word who became flesh was not recognized by most was rejected by some and by re- and was received by a few and things haven't changed all that much there's no shortage of people who fail to recognize then what was going on in the manger and now they like christmas the baby at christmas time is cute but they reject him as savior and lord like the boy who wanted to save the ants from his grandfather's tractor. He became one of them. And I wonder what their reaction would be the ants now. Who's the new guy? I've never seen you here before. You're, you're not from around here, are you? Danger? What danger? We've lived here all our lives and everything has been just fine. But some, John says, gladly received him. These people are the children of God. They believed that Jesus died and rose from the dead and he lives in them. They're born of God. They're born again. Only believers and followers of Jesus are his children. How do children get here? They get here by being born. How do we get to heaven? You must be born again. This is what I hope you grasp this Christmas season. That God became a man in Jesus Christ. Now, we could disagree on many things. Eschatology, for instance, the timing of the rapture and so forth. But we can't disbelieve the incarnation of Christ and be a Christian. We may confess, I don't fully understand it. And that's all right. But we must believe it. So this is as clear as I can make it. It's no side issue. So what is my response to what John wrote. Have I received Jesus? Am I really his child? Am I born again? Or if somehow I, I rejected him, I put him off, I put him on the side. No, I must decide. Do I really want Christmas to be feel good, cheery sound bites? Or do I really want it to be a real substance in my life? You have to choose So as we pray and you bow your heads, I want to give the opportunity, if there's anyone here this morning that is ready to choose Christ, to ready to say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God and that you came in the world for me, that you died on the cross for me and that you will come and live inside of me and give me the free gift of eternal life. If anyone needs to make that Commitment, that decision today, just raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Is there anyone here this morning that's ready to make that declaration? Well, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came. You were God. You became a man, one of us, so you could relate to us and we to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you that you rose from the dead. You ascended to your father where you are right now at his right hand, where we'll be someday. I pray that everyone in this room is born again, born from above. That they're your children by birth, by rebirth. And if not, they would leave this place in. Think about this and read your Gospels, read about Jesus, who he was, what he said, what he did and put their faith and trust in him alone for salvation. Thank you that that's what Christmas is all about. And it's in Jesus name I pray. Amen. You can see.